today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. Yes, God will do whatever it takes to get our attention because He's a loving God and He's a merciful God and He wants us right with Him. And He'll do whatever it takes, as difficult as it might be. But in the end, He wants us with Him, worshiping Him. That's the purpose of it. That's the reason for it. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. When things are going well for you, it can be easy to get caught up in how you're handling it all on your own. But sometimes God allows things in your life to cause you to cling to Him, not your riches or your good standing or circumstances. In today's teaching, Pastor J.D. speaks on God getting your attention. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 22 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 17. The Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die. And there your glorious chariot shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office, and from your position he will pull you down. Whoa! Who is this guy? (laughs) Well, his name we're told is Shebna. We know that from Scripture that he was a servant of King Hezekiah, but this guy had a problem, and it's kind of interesting that it would be included here in this chapter, in this prophecy, but it's a prophecy not concerning a nation or a people. It is a prophecy concerning a man. And this is, this man was a man full of himself. Everything was all about himself. He wanted to make a name for himself. And God is going to have the final word. And not only will He have, even though He carved out a tomb, He had to be pretty wealthy at that time to do that, to make a name for Himself. You know, it's kind of interesting, it's missed here in our our culture, but in the Middle East, uh, in the Arab culture particularly, and so too in the Hebrew culture, but in the Middle East, to this day by the way, if you have a girl, it's kind of like, oh, it's a girl. I'm sorry, everybody goes home. If it's a boy, why? Because the boy carries the family name. If you're a girl in the Middle East, you're nothing. The firstborn son, which I was. (laughs) Anyway, my poor sister, I, I love her so much and just never really had a fighting chance growing up in our home with our culture. But uh, the boy is who carries on the family name. 
not the girl. Because if you don't have any boys, then they don't carry your name, because you want to, you know, make a name for yourself. And God says, no, it's not going to happen. Not only are you not going to be buried in that tomb that you made for yourself, you're going to die in exile. Then verse 20, it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, the key of the house of David. I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, and no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. Does that sound familiar? It should. Book of Revelation again. It's actually a prophecy concerning Jesus Himself. Oh, you want to make a name for yourself? I'm going to take what you've done for yourself and give it to this man this Iliakim, a picture, a type of Jesus. Revelation 3, 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. That's the reference from Revelation to Isaiah, and Isaiah to Revelation. It gets better. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne. Listen to the the verbiage here, the wording, to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity, from the cups to all the pitchers. In that day, verse 25, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken." This is speaking of Jesus. And again, Eliakim is a type of Christ. And (laughs) this is how the chapter ends, and it bears out. And just one last thing, and then we'll go to chapter 23 real quick. Here's a guy, this Shebna, that wanted to make a name for himself. There is only one name given among men, whereby we must be saved. And it's the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The name above all names, the name of Jesus. Chapter 23. Yeah, praise the Lord, right? Don't you just love God's Word? And to think that people say, wow, you guys study the Old Testament? The Old Testament is old. (laughs) Oh, you have no idea. The Word of God is alive, alive. Well, chapter 23, almost done. Verse 1, 
This is where it gets personal for me, because it's the prophecy or the bird against Tyre. This is the area known today as modern day Lebanon, my birthplace. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled. And verse 3, on great waters, the grain of Shehor, the harvest of the river is her revenue, and she is a marketplace for the nations. Be ashamed, verse 4, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the strength of the sea, saying, I do not labor, nor bring forth children, neither do I rear young men, nor bring up virgins. When, verse 5, the report reaches Egypt, they also will be in agony at the report of Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, verse 6, wail, you inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is from ancient days, whose feet carried her far off to dwell? Who has taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city? This was the prosperous, business-rich capital of the known world at the time. They've become so wealthy, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are the honorable of the earth. The Lord of hosts, verse 9, has purposed it to bring to dishonor, listen, the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth, Overflow through your land like the river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. Do you see what's going on here? Here's this city that has become so rich, so wealthy, so prosperous, they don't need God. They become so arrogant so proud in their riches. And God is like, looks like I'm going to have to humble you. I'm going to get your attention first. And I'm going to get your attention because unless we get too hard on them or come down on them, I think we would do well to consider ourselves. Isn't it true that during times of prosperity, we're just as prone as the next guy to start putting our trust in the riches and the blessing and the prosperity that God has given us. We start looking to that instead of to the Lord. One of the things I, I've seen over the years and had occasion, especially when I was in the business world, I had occasion to do business with very wealthy people. And these were very arrogant people. <laughs> they had no time for God. I tried to share the gospel with them. Psh. I had one guy, this guy was so rich, took him to lunch. I wanted to, I'd been praying for him, and I wanted to share the gospel with him. I waited for the appetizers. <laughs> I was buying, by the way. 
And then I, I just started sharing the gospel with him. And he stopped me dead in my tracks. With a firmness, he says to me, is that why you brought me to lunch? He says, I'll, I'll finish this lunch. I don't want you to say another word. And I didn't, out of respect. And I was reminded of what Jesus said, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And this is what's happening here. This city, Tyre, had become so wealthy and so proud and so arrogant. And they were looking to their riches and putting their trust in their riches. Verse 11, he stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord has given a commandment against Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, verse 12, you will rejoice no more. O you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon, arise, cross over to Cyprus. There also you will have no rest. They tried to escape. Behold the land of the Chaldeans, this people, which was not Assyria, founded it for wild beasts of the desert. They set up its towers, they raised up its palaces, and brought it to ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste. Now, when we get to Ezekiel 26, I should say it differently, Lord willing, <laughs> if we're still here, and we make it to Ezekiel chapter 26, we will find a very detailed prophecy concerning Tyre. I would encourage you in your own time in God's Word, if you're interested, Ezekiel chapter 20. The whole book of Ezekiel is a wow, just a wow. All right, let's finish up. Verse 15, now it shall come to pass in that day, that Tyre will be forgotten seventy years, according to the days of one king. At the end of seventy years it will happen to Tyre, as in the song of the harlot. Take a harp, verse 16, go about the city, you forgotten harlot. Make sweet melody, sing many songs, that you may be remembered. And it shall be at the end of 70 years that the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her hire and commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her gain, verse 18, and her pay will be set apart for the Lord. It will not be treasured nor laid up for her gain, will be for those who dwell before the Lord, to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. Uh, this is how it works in God's economy. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. So the chapter ends, but I don't know if you caught this in this last verse. So these treasures, they are going to bring to the Lord. You know what this is talking about? Check this out. Can't think of a better way to end a Bible study than this way. 
the chapter ends with Isaiah's prophecy about this proud, pompous city being humbled by God, but God, in His mercy, will restore Tyre in what some believe will be the kingdom age, the millennium. Think Isaiah 19 concerning Egypt. God calls Egypt, my people, along with the Assyrians, my inheritance, the work of my hands. Egypt, my people, those are my people. (laughs) My dad was born in Egypt. I'm half Egyptian. I don't walk like an Egyptian, but I might look like one. (laughs) Those are my people. And God's calling them, my people. And then now Tyre, we're going to see them in the millennium coming to the Lord, bringing gifts to the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Yes. Psalm 45 verse 12, and the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. Yes, God will do whatever it takes to get our attention, because He's a loving God, and He's a merciful God, and He wants us right with Him. And He'll do whatever it takes, as difficult as it might be. But in the end, He wants us with Him, worshiping Him, That's the purpose of it. That's the reason for it. Never misunderstand or misinterpret the heavy hand of God when He's trying to get your attention. Don't despise even as the writer of Hebrews says, as we're going to see in our study through Hebrews, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. The Lord chastises those whom He loves. That's how you know you're His children. I mean, I wish there were another way. I wish I could get a plaque. I'm a child of God. That's how you know. No, you know how people would know my kids were my kids when they were young? Because I spanked them. That must be his kids, because he's, because if they're, he's not going to spank somebody else's kids. (laughs) They're not his kids. You don't spank somebody else. Sometimes you want to spank somebody else's kids, right? But (laughs) you have no right to spank somebody else's kids. I know that must be your kid. Well, first of all, look at him. It looks like you pray for the kid. But you're disciplining your child. That's because he's your child to discipline. And that's how you know he's your child. And so too with God. He disciplines us because he loves us. You know, as parents, even grandparents, remember when your children were young, I'm trying to forget, so are they by the way, when you would have to discipline them and you would say to them something to the effect of, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. You know, to which my kids, you know, smart, these kids are smart now. Well, why hurt yourself then? Just just spare both of us, you know. My my mom growing up, and I'll, I'll end with this, will be the last thing. Don't look at your watches. My mom used to say to me when I, if, oh, she disciplined me a lot. Oh, man. And I deserved every single bit of it. 
But she would always say, she'd have that high pitch, you know, thick accent, you know, I, I do this because I love you. To which I would say, then don't love me so much, you don't have to discipline me. <laughs> but that's why we do it, right? Think about it. My daughter, we've had this conversation so many times, and I, I, I tell her, I, I say, you know, yeah, we are kind of hard, hard on you and strict with you, and yeah, you know, we discipline you, but it's because we love you so much. Think about it like this, if we didn't care, that means we don't love you. It's kind of like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. When our boys were young, I used to jokingly say, yeah, I mean, if I, if I didn't love you, I, I wouldn't discipline you. I would just let you go juggle knives on the H3 during rush hour. I don't care. If you got a better one than that, I mean, well, of course, it's too late. My kids are growing up. That's why it might explain maybe some of the neurological conditions that <laughs> have developed because of it. But you get the point. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't bother. Why do I discipline you? Because I love you so much. I love you so much and I care so much about you. I mean, I, there are times when you're so tired. What gets you up to go do the hard thing and discipline your child when you don't feel like it and you don't want to do it? Love. It's so hard. When our boys were little, okay, this would be the last, last thing. When our boys were little, last, last one. I had so many things the Lord taught me through parenting as an earthly father. But man, just the disciplining of our boys in those younger years. And I remember one time in our devotions in the morning, I said, you know, you guys, your mom and I, contrary to what you think, we don't get up in the morning, your mom and I, and say to ourselves, all right, I can't wait to ground them and discipline them. No. We don't, we don't want to do this. We have to do this. Love compels us to do this. How much more our Heavenly Father? Okay, I'm done. Whew. Hey, we did pretty good, huh? Four chapters? Yeah. Oh, ye of little faith who thought we couldn't do it. <laughs> okay, I admit, I wasn't sure either, but thank you, Lord. <laughs> wow. Lord, thank you so much. There's just so much here that we can take home with us. And Lord, as we do, we look to You by the Holy Spirit to take all of these truths, all of these life lessons that are here, and take heed to them. That we would take heed to Your Word, Lord. Lord, for any for whom You in your love for them, have sought to get their attention, to stop them so that they will consider their ways, the direction they're going. Lord, I pray that it would be seen as coming from a God who loves them so much. Lord, thank you for doing everything and stopping at nothing to get our attention. So be it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding of the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.